David, your thoughts? Well, my first thought is that it's GIF, not GIF. And I know there'll be other people listening <laughs> in on this podcast that say, what is CA talking about? I'm on David's side. Yeah, camp, camp is it not anyway, GIF? I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Yeah, Sorry you are, to man. Be the one to tell you. <laughs> anyway, that's not really the important thing. <laughs> Hello there, listener, and welcome to the 15th roundtable of the Metacast, the show which is brought to you by Navic, in which we explore the business of video games. I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by Chong C.A. Ang, Matei Lancharic, and David Amor. And today's topics will be Epic v. Apple, The Conclusion, Plants vs. Zombies 3 goes into soft launch again, and the destroyed diamond NFT. If you heard, haven't heard about that one, prepare to get your mind blown. <laughs> and as today's bonus segment, we're doing another round of Would You Rather? So I'll ask the panelists difficult and painful questions, and they'll give me intelligent and hilarious answers. <laughs> so two pieces of, of small news from my side. So I was in, in Berlin uh, last few days because I was moderating a panel at the Bitcraft Investor Summit, and there mm-hmm. I had the chance to meet both Florian and Pierce. So uh, these nice. were the first people of the Metacast that I managed to see physically. Felt good, man. Felt good. It was different. Although, I, I mean, obviously, I love looking at your faces behind these mics. That's also fun. <laughs> and then the second piece of uh, news. So as you guys know, I'm, uh, I'm involved in loot. And so as a correction yes, for last know. week. Yes, we know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, people know now. Anyway, so we discussed what kind of token loot was and, and we wrongfully said that it was an ERC-20 token. It's actually an ERC-721 token. Um, and also what happens in the past seven days is that the loot holders, we voted to burn the keys of the original loot contract, which means that no one has any power over it anymore and we... Like the only thing that can happen is when we vote and, and that gets decided, stuff gets decided there. Um, we also have defined a loot improvement proposal. So from now on, like in order to inc- like improve loot, there's going to be these proposals and, and so it's called LIP. Um, and this is very similar to what you have with um, Ethereum. So in Ethereum, you have ERC, which means uh, Ethereum request for comments. And so we now have a very similar, similar um, improvement proposals. And we're also building bridges to level uh, layer twos on Ethereum, so we can build games with far lower transaction costs. Um, so that's all that stuff is happening right now, and I'm very excited about it. But enough about that. What's up with you guys, David? How are you doing? I'm doing great. Just got my first set of reading glasses. Sort of seminal moment. Not very good yeah. information. I was wondering. You look so serious today, man. Serious? You think it's uh, okay? No, good. I mean it looks good, but like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Do I do I Maybe. look serious as well, or don't not? <laughs> Man, I, I just know that you're like, we don't see it now, but you're like full of tattoos. So that makes you less True. serious immediately. Yeah, okay. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and so CA, finally we get to hear your voice in, in good quality because you finally decided to invest in some good some good my quality. I did, I did. Yeah, thanks for the recommendation. Uh, it's not done yet. I will, I will send you a picture once my setup is complete to see if nice. it gets the uh, thumbs up from Nico. <laughs> and what do your colleagues say aren't they like happy to have better quality chong yeah you know uh, a couple people did mention it uh during some of my zoom calls so it, it definitely must be an improvement either that or 
the the microphone is doing amazing things and matching <laughs> my own voice that I don't like. <laughs> I still use AirPods for calls and, and everything else besides podcasts. <laughs> but they clearly nice. doesn't care about the enjoyment of others. I, I can imagine actually that like, the microphone companies like um, sell more like over the, the uh, thanks to the pandemic. Yep. Because mm. there's way more communicating going on virtually. Sure. I know in some companies there's a bit of an arms race going on with uh, some friends at EA that told me that everybody's upgrading their cameras and upgrading <laughs> their mics, you know, because there's a bit of one upmanship going on there. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Nice, it's like if you can't see her physically and you cannot flex your yeah. watch or yeah, new shoes. Off the setup. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Now, yeah. it's a, now it's a setup that gives uh, bragging rights. All right. Cool. Let's uh, Let's dive in. We have uh, some interesting topics today. First topic, Apple, Epic v. Apple, the Battle of the Tims. So um, if you hadn't heard, over the past months, Epic Games and Apple had, have been duking it out in the courts. And so last Friday, the judge concluded that Apple was not unfairly monopolizing the mobile app space with iOS or its in-app purchasing system. And she ordered Epic to pay damages for violating its developer agreement with Fortnite last year. Um, which <laughs> Tim Sweeney promptly did, and I saw him like a very like I saw a very dry tweet like we just paid six million dollars to Apple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and so but at the same time she also ordered Apple to remove its anti-steering rules, and so these are policies banning developers from telling users about payment alternatives to Apple uh, in app Apple's in-app purchasing system. Um, yeah, which I mean, yeah, we, we kind of expected, and it was happening in different countries as well. And so, um, some interesting notes from, from uh, like other things that the judge said. First, she concludes that uh, iOS and Android have a near duopoly, um, although she considers the Nintendo Switch and cloud gaming services potential near future competitors. And it also, like her ruling estimates that Apple has a share of around 55% in the mobile game transactions market. And Despite Apple's considerable power and profit margins, these factors alone do not show antitrust conduct. Success is not illegal, which uh, I think our um, our good friend Anton will rejoice because he was saying that all the <laughs> money that Apple is making through the App Store is their birthright. So um, <laughs> he'll he'll fully agree with with uh, with uh, the judge here. All right, so. Which Tim is popping champagne after the ver verdict? Is it Tim Cook, Tim Sweeney, both, none? Matei, what do you think? I, I guess neither or both a little uh, because, you know, there are still like two camps right now. One says Apple won and uh, the other says Epic won. But I guess mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's actually mixed up a little bit and uh, there is a bit of a partial victory of, uh, for both sides. So they're both both happy, but I guess also like they have reasons to be unhappy, right? Yeah, but it's still like the first uh, first step towards the 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 larger battle, I would say. Yeah, yeah I think it was optimistic calling it a conclusion. I yeah. think this is maybe <laughs> the end of chapter one at best. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's going straight to appeal, right? Mm -hmm. Tim Sweeney yeah. doesn't seem particularly thrilled with the outcome, or maybe that's just a poker bluff. I don't know, but uh, yeah, this is going to go on for a while. Yeah, I would think. Mm -hmm. Ca, what do you think? Yeah, I think I'm on the same page as what David just said. I think, you know, this is just the initial bout. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more with appeals and, you know, different arguments that will be made. Because if you take a look at, you know, Epic and how they've started this entire lawsuit um, and every step of the way, it's been very deliberate. Uh, I, I feel like they've gamed out just about every scenario that they could think of. 
um, including all the fun multimedia content that Epic has come out with, with their various trailers, <laughs> Tim Sweeney's background. I mean, these things are all very deliberate. Hmm. So is this an outcome that Epic probably saw coming, at least as one of the scenarios? I think for sure. Hmm. Now it's just a matter of what, what are the next steps and how do they you know, tackle this from a slightly different angle? Well, there's been two things, maybe more, right? Because along the way, Apple said... 15% for the first, what was it, million? Which yeah. I know won't affect yep. Epic particularly, but is a change. And then, and this um, new billing system or, or the ability to have payment systems outside of the Apple ecosystem feels like something. I'm trying to work out how big a deal that is. I think that maybe for whales who feel like they may be able to get a discount on the things they'd ordinarily buy, then that they'll probably go for that. But I guess for most, they wouldn't. You know, maybe it's different according to revenue versus quantity of people. Maybe by revenue, it has quite a big effect. By quantity of people, it's not that many. Look, there are still, like, the rumors. Sorry, see, just uh, one quick comment. There are still rumors about, like, some bigger companies paying Vegas trips to their wells, basically. So, you know, if if you want to send a well to your web portal or whatever, wherever uh, with your payment system or the third party payment system, well, they will do it for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an interesting comment. Um, uh, the thing I want to kind of highlight, though, going back to like, I think Nico's original question around who won, right, between <laughs> Epic and Apple, which Tim won. Uh, I think for, at least for this round, uh, my, my opinion is, I think Tim Cook won, to be completely honest. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right, because you know, I don't think Epic got the the actual final outcome that they were looking for, and even with this ruling, the the shift in what needs to happen for you know said you know third party or external payment mm-hmm. options to really become a reality within the ecosystem, it's going to take some time. Even though we know that there are players in the space, um, which leads to like other conversations around. You know what's what's valuable at the end of the day. Um, you know, is it driving, you know, through litigation, you know, forcing innovation, competition, things of that nature, um, but also at the same time, how do then these companies that are out there that are doing things in payments, how do you reduce that friction? And then it becomes this larger conversation around geos, right? Because in some parts of the world, that friction already exists. Right. So if you go to like large parts of like Southeast Asia or emerging markets, you know, a lot of them are actually not really going through, you know, Apple's payment system in order to top off the particular products that they're playing with. So they might already be accustomed to this. So for them, there might be a boon. Right. Mm. But for others, especially in like tier one countries that are accustomed to going through first party, you know, the trust factor, the convenience. What does Mm -hmm. that look like? Yeah, I think you could segment it in a lot of different ways. Were there any other concessions? Um, I mentioned two. I'm trying to work out if there are any other things that Apple are changing as a result of this lawsuit at this time. Yeah, it feels like it's a potential like a domino, mm. where you know they have to do this now, and then perhaps we'll see in other countries um, either same rulings or stricter rulings. Uh, what do you think on that? Yeah, it does seem like they're. You know, the short around the same time that they saw lawsuits from Epic, whether it's coincidence or not, I'm not sure. But there was 
legislative pressure to make some changes in various places in the world, whether it's in Japan or in the European Union, maybe that's not the end of that either. So mm -hmm. it does feel a little bit like Apple are fighting the tide. And although that they've, you know, arguably won here because their concessions aren't that great, it's probably not the end of it. It's probably, you know, if I think if I were Apple, I'd try and get ahead of it a little bit and say, predict what's going to come two, three years down the road and look like the good guys by doing it before anybody asks them. But, you know, mm -hmm. Tim's smarter than me. So let's see. <laughs> let's see what he does. Yeah. I uh, found it interesting. They, um, there was a whole discussion about the definition of what is a game. Uh, can someone explain like why that was so relevant and so important in this uh, this whole trial? Well, I assume it relates to you know the likes of uh, Kindle and Amazon being able to buy things uh, through without paying thirty percent, right? Mm. And Spotify being on the edge, and Roblox being a game, but somehow edge, edge the right side of that line for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah. So, I assume it's relating to that, is it? Yeah, I think as well because uh, some app developers are already like bypassing the the Apple payment system with their own um, web systems and payment system on their websites, basically. So because the subscription fee is already reduced, right? So uh, I guess this this was the case. Could you give some examples? Well, I know um, uh, Spotify does that for sure. Then um, yeah. some fitness apps, and also I. I think Fabulous was definitely working on the, the web payment system and the web flow as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the ecosystem is, I mean, this has been talked about before, but the ecosystem is so much more complicated than it was 10 years ago when the App Store launched that trying to find a nice, simple, elegant business arrangement across such a wide variety of products is you know, near impossible now. So it's creaking anyway. So mm -hmm. let's yeah, see what happens next. Yeah. Do you guys happen to have details around, because I, I, I've been having this conversation with a few colleagues, and I don't think we came to a conclusion, so I want to ask the panel here. <laughs> with the ruling, right, being able to you know, access other payments outside of the ecosystem, what does that actually entail? Because at least the way that I read the ruling, it seems slightly ambiguous, and maybe it was done purposefully. But does that mean you need to link out of whatever app that you're in to go to, let's say, a website to initiate that payment? Does it mean that you have the flexibility to create, you know, inside the app, let's say through some modal or some through web view, where you can actually have that payment appearing in app so it's less friction? Like that's the part I'm not 100% clear on from the ruling. Uh, would love to get your guys' thoughts. Yeah, I'm not, not sure if, if anyone is actually 100% sure of what that, what that means. <laughs> Super Supercell do this to some degree already, right? You can you can buy things yeah, outside can buy of the, the game that show up in the game. Um, you know, I'm wondering, could you even say there's nothing to buy within the app and everything has to be bought outside the app, thereby not even giving the players a chance, the opportunity to buy anything for the app mm -hmm. store? So it doesn't feel like the legislation has captured all these, you know, the games makers yeah. are a creative bunch, so we'll see... <laughs> Yeah, definitely we'll find some loopholes. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, even with the Supercell example, at least the one that I saw just recently, um, I think Supercell, you know, did something where it's related to part of their store, right? Like the mm. merch store, but you could also top off, let's say, premium currency. Um, right. I don't know that it works in all regions because uh, no, I know a couple people, right? Yeah, it's not global yet, right? Yep. So I, what I'm kind of wondering, because I... 
what I'm hoping for, maybe it's a better way of explaining this, is because the legislation is relatively ambiguous in terms of its wording, you know, how many developers, publishers are going to use the, you know, let's uh, ask for forgiveness model mm-hmm. and implement and experiment with trying to do this where it is part of the in-app experience where it's reduced friction so that there's a lot more trust. Because ultimately, I feel like that's what it comes down to, right? You putting sensitive information, you know, into a thing, uh, it's pretty critical, especially in today's day and age with privacy issues and concerns and hacking this, that, and the other. So I'm just really curious out of like the top publishers, who's going to attempt that? Or do you feel it's going to be more of the small to mid-sized publishers who feel like this is an opportunity, maybe they'll fly under the radar, right, and be able to accomplish these goals. I'm super curious about that. Yeah, I mean, as a somebody making games in, for mobile, I, I hate putting something out to sub, subbing something to Apple and then not being particularly confident whether or not it's going to go through or not, and it gets caught. And then once you're still caught in the Apple net, it's really hard to cut yourself loose of it, even if you <laughs> sure. adhere to everything. So. <laughs> Yeah, I hope somebody else sets the precedent instead of me. <laughs> but uh, but that's you know it, maybe that is way the way to test exactly what can and can't get through. But uh, as to who will do the testing of that, I'm not sure. Would mm-hmm. you do it, Matei? Would you advise your clients? So I think I mentioned this on the on the previous podcast. We were doing this when I was well back in days at Pixel Federation. We had the Facebook Canvas games and uh, our own web portal as well. So basically, yeah, we had the payment system on, on our web portal and we were sending players from Facebook to, to the web portal to, you know, not pay the 30% to Facebook. So I assume, and well, the company was like 80 people when I was there. And when I left, it was 230 people. So like mid-size, still like 3 million revenues a month, which is really nice. So I think like the mid-size and the bigger companies definitely will benefit from this, from the smaller size, not sure that much. Even though I know like one of my friends who works at Ixola is now popping champagnes and send, sending mm-hmm. everyone like, hey, we have the solution, you know, <laughs> do, 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 do you want to talk? <laughs> yeah, and, and I should have paid attention to this, but what, what happened with Google? Does nothing change with Google or did they follow suit with, uh, with Apple? Well, I saw a recent ruling, uh, so I don't think it's global, but I know, I think South Korea just did some ruling, you know, Mm. against Google, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Similar in nature. Uh, I don't know the exact details, but I know from a countrywide perspective, they, yeah, they went after Google to some degree. So I think that should be interesting. Mm -hmm. To conclude this this part, I'm curious. So last or two weeks ago, I think I asked Matei, Matei, what is a fair deal for you? In, in this whole debacle, and you said uh, 10% fee, flat, boom. Yeah. That seems fair to me. And now I want to no, know... No external payment systems. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't don't bother, like Apple, like you make enough money. Like I think they make like five, like they their costs are like 5% or something. So if they have 5% yep. profit margin on top of that, that's that should be good enough. Uh, Anton disagreed, but uh, curious <laughs> to hear your thoughts. David, what do you think? Yeah, that I mean, just a lot has changed in... 10 years, I remember listening to the App Store announcement and thinking, oh my God, free downloads. You don't have to pay for updates or downloads. 
oh, my, it could be hundreds of megabytes. They're covering, you know, and now that's ridiculous. Of course, something that felt like 30, 30% of that point felt great value. It just mm. doesn't today because times have changed and technology's changed. So, I don't know, even, so yes, 10, 15, I'm not sure, but... Uh, but even then, that doesn't really cover everything. It's more complex than that. So what are you saying? You don't take 10% of everything Amazon sells. That doesn't work. And what about Kindle sales? And what about Spotify subscriptions? You know, what's, uh, it's hard to just get... I'd love to see one number. It makes life much simpler. But I think it's... Uh, I don't even get to one number. I do think... I do wonder whether or not pushing it out to another billing system is the best option for the consumer presumably the consumer doesn't want that they got their billing system all figured out in their phone feel good about it double click and now all of a sudden they've got options and confusion and doesn't feel like a good consumer move for me that's fair see yeah yeah i i I largely agree with the sentiment around it's going to be challenging for the consumer i think ultimately which i think goes back to the point you were making earlier around you know, could Apple potentially use this you know, scenario that they're in now as an opportunity to get ahead of it? I really hope that they do because I think they can continue to solidify, you know, what they've been doing for a long time. Um, where I do see some, at least as it relates to Matei's question around like, a, you know, like rev share and things like that, <laughs> where I think innovation is actually going to maybe come into play is if you take a look at, let's say, LATAM or Southeast Asia, there's already a lot of interesting payment providers, right? Third-party payment providers that have, you know, set up things like an app that is specifically meant to aggregate content so that you can top up whatever games that you're playing. And then when you go back into the actual app that you're playing with, then it shows up there. With this type of ruling and because of the infrastructure that's already laid out there, could they potentially now reduce that several steps of going into a separate app to do a thing to get topped off in your game. I think they're going to be the fastest ones to innovate in that space. And so I think you'll see a lot of innovation in those types of regions. And then for the rev share, at least the way I understand it, having done a bunch of research on this when trying to live live operate a bunch of games, some of these um, third-party like payment aggregators, um, their cut usually ranges you know, 20 to 27%. Right. Don't quote me on that number, but I know it's within that range. It's lower <laughs> than Apple first. It's lower than 30, yeah. but I've seen it go down as far as like 20%. Right. So maybe that's where the line's going to hold. Maybe they're going to innovate further. They're going to get larger digital footprint to get more revenue coming in. And then based off of that, who knows what other innovation might come through or reduction of fees or things like that. Hmm. Is there a world where you see um, Apple allowing or being forced to allow competing app stores on, uh, on iOS? Maybe through legislative pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I think that's the only way I can see it happening. I mean, obviously, the, you know, on Google, that happens already in China because it has to happen in China. But even even in America, there, if you buy a Samsung phone, it has a Samsung store. Mm-hmm. So to some degree, it's there already. But I don't see Apple being in a hurry to do that. Yeah, I, I hope we go. I hope we're, we get to a world where. You know, due to at least some of this and some groundswell that might occur, you know, from developers, publishers, you know, payment vendors, things of that nature, that the innovation will just come and we don't have to, quote unquote, like innovate through legislation. Because uh, that just, that feels like it's going to be laborious. It's probably not best for users and it feels very, you know, heavy handed. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think, like, in my opinion, 
I'm biased, of course. We're going <laughs> to a world where, you know, we're going to be paying with you know, tiny fractions of, of crypto, right? You're going to be trying to import, you know, your NFTs into your wallet to start playing games with them. Um, you're going to be paying, you know, small fractions of, of, of Bitcoin to the Lightning Network inside your apps. Um, perhaps, you know, you, you pay like one Satoshi per second of play. I don't know. There, there's whole different things. And, and this is stuff like if Apple doesn't know how, you know, that doesn't, doesn't manage to figure this out, like that stuff is way more complicated. Um, is this your bold like prediction? They, it might be. Actually, well, nice. I mean, I'm I'm convinced that I mean the games are going to be there. Um, I, I'm yeah. just not sure if if Apple is going to be able to follow. Oof. At least that uh, that's my my prediction or, or how I see the future. Well, that would be definitely nice to see, but you know, yeah. like uh, also Facebook had uh, the the HTML5 games and inside the the app, and as soon as they wanted to do it or like publish the build on iOS, they got banned. They the, the Google went through, but iOS didn't allow it. So, well, hmm. this says a lot of things about Apple and uh, the alternative stores. Hmm. Yeah, have, so I, I posted this to you guys. I wasn't planning to to discuss this, but we have a little bit of time. So Gnosis is a, um, is a wallet, so a cryptocurrency wallet, and they hmm. have the, the possibility to display NFTs. And so the app Gnosis was... <laughs> was banned or, or was not allowed to be uh, published on the iOS store mm -hmm. because you're exactly. able to buy stuff that was <laughs> bought outside of the Apple ecosystem, which I found absolutely ridiculous. But it shows that Apple is... I, either it shows that they were confronted with someone who doesn't really know what they're doing in, in the whole you know mm -hmm. process of, uh, of reviewing um, apps, or it shows that Apple is like, seriously concerned. Or maybe they're building their own wallet solution. I don't know. I would say that either uh, they haven't got a policy, which is why they handled it in a clumsy way, mm. or they're just going to be the wrong side of history on mm. this. It's interesting that the same day I hear that uh, story, then Google get behind Dapper Labs. Exactly. Uh, so, mm. you know, Google and Apple taking a slightly different position there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Apple, just historically, the way that they completely control their value chain, um, and the things that they're seeing happening in such a rapid fashion, I think it's probably what David said, the former part of what David said. I, I don't think Apple has a policy on it yet. Um, I think they, they did probably handle it in a clumsy way. Uh, but I think it would be foolish for them not to be thinking about it. I'm pretty sure there's people over there thinking about this and how they can integrate it and you know find a optimal way of getting it into uh, their overall tech stack. Um, so... Yeah, mm. I'm pretty bullish like you, Nico. I think at some point, you know, Apple's going to, you know, wow us with their version of what this looks like, integration of blockchain and crypto, um, and, you know, do it in, you know, the quote-unquote Apple polish way, right? Mm. And so, like, I'm I'm hopeful in that regard, but maybe mm. I'm being too optimistic. <laughs> yeah, really hopeful yeah, we'll it's see. not going to be Apple Arcade style of uh, doing things. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, he went there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and on top of that, like I, I'm, I'm like a really like pretty big iPhone user. Like I've had an iPhone for ten years or more, and I haven't had anything else. But like, and I don't see myself changing, except if they're behind on the whole, you know, Web three access, right? If you do, if they don't allow you to, you know, pay in apps or in websites with Bitcoin and all that stuff, that would, could be a reason why I see mm -hmm. myself changing. Nice. All right. <laughs> that's it for this topic let's see let's see what apple does let's also see what epic does but i feel like yeah we, we haven't seen uh, all of it obviously and uh, there's going to be a, a part two chapter two but now topic sure. two
Plants vs. Zombies 3 goes into soft launch again. So PopCap Games and EA soft launched Plants vs. Zombies 3 on mobile for the second time. The popular Garden Tower Defense has returned and is currently undergoing pre-alpha testing on Android devices in Australia and the Philippines. But the title also entered a soft launch stage in 2020 in Ireland, Romania and the Philippines on both iOS and Android. But after months of testing, the game was pulled out in order to incorporate feedback from players to return with a better imagining of the <laughs> title. Whatever that means. <laughs> um, and so this current pre-alpha test is free to play and will not include any uh, in-app purchases as of yet. So maybe first, um, I'd like to set the stage for the non-mobile gaming peeps like myself. Like, Matei, could you give us, uh, like, as if we're five, an explanation <laughs> what a soft launch is and what, what the purpose is of a soft launch? Okay, okay. So in, in so simple terms, um, mm -hmm. soft launch is a period of in time, usually three to six months, but uh, can be definitely longer. When your game or app is available in uh, in selected countries, in in order to collect player feedback, check the first time user experience, monitor the onboarding flow, tutorial completion rate, and uh, and basically test out uh, all marketing activities, mm. creative channels, optimizations, and stuff like that. Hope mm -hmm. your five year old Nico is satisfied now. <laughs> you know, I'll do a simpler one, which is to see if it makes money. I mean, there's no yeah. point in doing a worldwide launch unless you think that it, you get more in terms of LTV than you do eCPI. I mean, does the game make a profit? Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry. David, to, David. To, to LTV, eCPI. <laughs> Sorry. It's five-year-old. Come on. Five-year-old. I made this mistake. <laughs> <laughs> this so, David, what were you saying? I just mean, like, how much money does it cost to get somebody playing versus uh -huh. how much money do we expect on average to, to receive from that player? And most games that uh, when you come to test that out don't add up. And and so, I don't know, different companies have different uh, definitions of soft launch. But, uh, you know, probably what we're seeing with Plants vs. Zombies 3 here is can we make this game make money? What do you think, Matei? But look, it's, it's the first alpha without any IIPs, the in-app purchases yeah. in. So this is definitely to get player feedback and they they stated that in the in the forum message and in the previous messages as well well they're just testing retention yeah yeah so it's there that's quite retention. i mean there's nothing unusual about that the f the first one you put out it doesn't have monetization in you're just testing for retention yep. how long people stick with it but it will because it's not going to stay free forever right Yep, so you expect then like once they are happy with their retention rates they would either introduce uh, in app purchases during the soft launch, or what they do? They they do the full launch and then do the monetization, no, or how does no, that work? Definitely, definitely want to see if your game makes money before the the worldwide launch, because well, okay. then then you need to also like make money and pay bills and eat and stuff like that. So and you know, companies and game, making games is a business. Uh, so mm -hmm. definitely putting the in-app purchase and the whole monetization of the game before um, making the game global is the, the way how the, the soft launch should work. <laughs> and um, so this was the second soft launch. So they did it once and, and they pull it back. Now they did it again. Is this something that happens often? It's not that common, I would say. And usually you have like a cycles of... Um, of the of the games and builds and you you run the the ua to get players in then you pause you evaluate then you improve the the build and the numbers and then you do it again like 
pulling out the game from store is quite unusual because well mm. you can have the the game out for for the whole soft launch or the whole period of the soft launch mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and why do you think they ended up like pulling it out completely was it like a big failure or I would imagine that somebody in the team said this needs a bigger reset than yeah. we first thought. Probably doesn't require a tweak. Probably takes us, requires a few steps back. You know, I do think there's a problem. You know, it's probably a game that's had a lot of money spent on it, a lot of time spent on it, and there's a lot of sunk cost fallacy mm. in there where people, you know, we spent too long on this to give up on it. So let's take a few steps back, spend another three, six months on it, have another run at it. Um, doesn't always work that way, though. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't Often doesn't help. The thing is, they are going to pull the game from the stores again. They said it in the in the forum and the message, like, "Hey, guys, this is this is out. It's going to be live for for a short time. Play, give us feedback, and then we will see." <laughs> so, it's definitely interesting interesting process. Hmm. Would the approach have been different if this was not like the third version of a you know fairly successful franchise? You know, the Plants vs Zombies. If this was like the first game something new then you think they wouldn't have retried it i think they would kill it already mm. because this is like this is their ip and they definitely want to publish this and it's not mm. like if but when a uh, question that's for mm -hmm. that's 100 mm -hmm. yeah i think that's an interesting comment by uh, matei uh, i i think ultimately when you take a look at taking any product into an external-facing, player-facing phase of development, soft launch. Uh, it, it really signals, right, to the broader community that, hey, like, we have something, we want to try it. And then it comes down to publisher's risk profile, right? Do they have the stomach to maintain, support, and iterate, you know, within that soft launch phase? Because I know in the early days of mobile, it's like, oh, soft launch for like three months and then you go global. Then it became like six months, then it became eight months and, you know, a year. Some some products are in soft launch for two years, hmm. right? So I, I think ultimately it comes down to, did they take away some key lessons from that initial soft launch? Because, I mean, they launched, what, in February of 2020. They took it down in November. What is that? That's like 10 months, right? So it, it was a pretty substantial soft launch. Hmm. And then yeah. for them to pull it down and then go back up, you know, there must be, you know, they must have learned a lot of things for sure. And they must be pretty confident or they're trying to spot fix particular areas that they've identified to see if they actually have throughput. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how it's going to play out, particularly with the regions that they've selected, which is almost an overlap of the initial soft launch that they conducted before, right? Because Nico, you said it was Ireland, Indonesia, I think Philippines and one other country I can't recall what you Romania. said. Romania. Oh, Romania. And I think this time around they're going to, you know, very similar territories, mm -hmm. but like in a slow rollout, right? Going back to the Philippines and maybe they're trying to replicate um, and look at similar cohorts to see if mm -hmm. maybe yeah, their well, retention or something else improved. If they want to measure properly, then definitely the same countries would uh, give them the, the proper benchmarks or, or the proper numbers. Mm -hmm. The only overlap is Philippines. So now it's Australia and Philippines, and before it was Ireland, Romania, and Philippines. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm interested. So I, I played through Plants vs Zombies more than once. It's an incredible game. Love it. I, I wonder, and I, I sort of generalize and say that, that when companies go through their back catalog and game find games that gamers love, like Plants vs Zombies or Dungeon Keeper or something else, uh, then how much 
how important is that in the mobile game space today? So as much as I love those IPs that I just mentioned, I don't know how big they are compared with, let's say, a Marvel license. And, and you know, maybe you could say, well, you could use the same game mechanic, but, but if that game mechanic isn't particularly well suited for, for free-to-play, then what have you got? You've got a... I'm not saying it is or isn't, but but I think if you're within a games company, there's a temptation to look at that great IP that you had such fun making, such fun playing, got a great reaction from the audience at the time and saying, let's make an amazing mobile game out of this. And often it's just not a good fit. And you see the KPIs come back, the, the data coming back and, uh, and uh, you think, well, it's such a good game. Let's try and push this to the finish line. But that's, you know, that's uh, often doesn't work. Hmm. Oh, I loved Dungeon Keeper 1 and 2. I spent the whole childhood playing Dungeon Keeper. And when they published it on mobile, I was so disappointed. That the game mm. is definitely not made for mobile at all. <laughs> and I, I worked on Dungeon Keeper 2, you, you know, so I, that, that's a game Ooh. that's very familiar nice. to me. So I, I looked in on that with some sorrow. <laughs> You know, I think, you know, it's pretty germane, though, to I think what to David's point around, I think studios recognizing, you know, if and when a particular IP can be adapted, you know, to the particular platform. Um, I think plan PVZ, you know, because of number one, number two, number one was more of a premium product, right? Number yeah. two was their first real foray into like free to play, which, you know, it's still in service. Uh, you know, yep. and it's actually still doing pretty well, uh, amazingly, uh, mm. for the age of that particular product. So I think they're trying to capture some of that magic for sure. Um, but yeah, I think it takes a lot of discipline. And, you know, I'll always point to Supercell, right? When it comes to discipline, when it comes to being in soft launch on knowing when to double down and support, but also knowing when to, you know, cut the cord. And so, yeah, I, I, when, I, when I see EA kind of doing this and, you know, resuscitating a product that was in soft launch and coming back, you know, there, there must be something there. Right. Like I can't imagine that there's a bunch of people there that are looking at and saying, yeah, let's let's like force it through. At least I hope not just because mm -hmm. I, lo I love the IP. Um, but I think there's also probably, you know, geo considerations as well when you think about that IP, because um, mm -hmm. my understanding just anecdotally is that it's really popular uh, as an IP in other parts of the world outside of like Western territories. Right. So maybe maybe there's a play there. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the, the PVZ. IP or franchise is probably not like a billion revenue franchise, but still the PVZ2 can make a lot of money, well, making a lot of money and still is uh, um, alive and kicking. So I guess the PVZ3, why not to, like you said, capture the, the magic from the PVZ2. So you're but saying the PVZ2 uh, made good money on mobile? It's, it's decent. Okay. So what do you guys think? What are the chances of uh, this game ending up being successful? Define success. Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, let, let's say success is uh, PVZ two right now. Okay. Well. I, so I I I'll, I'll go first. Um, okay. I I think I think it has a chance to surplant PVZ two, um, but the the time frame that I'll give it is PVZ two didn't really hit its what I would consider its live service stride until well mm. after its initial worldwide launch. Right, because I think the team needed time to really understand what is live service, how do you do that, you know, really crystallize their content pipelines, build out their tooling, understand what their users wanted. So 
if I assume they took those lessons, they're going to apply it to PVZ3, you know, I would imagine like their first year revenue would surpass what PVZ2's, you know, first year revenue is, assuming this product makes it out of soft launch and goes global. But that would be my prediction. David? Well, I want to be polite about it, but <laughs> I think that uh, usually a game works or doesn't. And uh, it, once you've got something that doesn't quite add up, it's very hard to make something. It's very good from to go from okay to amazing. Usually mm. games are what they are. I mean, there's exceptions, mm. but uh, I just think it's very hard to turn make a game that's doing okay to something that's really doing a billion. But, uh, okay, so skeptical. Yeah. Cool. Matej? Well, okay, so I would love to see like a market research or the, the homework they've done prior to the soft launch to mm. to properly answer the question. But it seems like, you know, the they brought it back live. The PVZ is de- too is decent. The the IP apparently appeals to to some kind of audience. So they definitely can can make some money and uh, have uh, positive returns. So I, I, as I said, probably not billions, but definitely in the in the millions range. Which for EA, not sure if it's enough though. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good point, right? So I'm I'm not sure that I can predict whether it's going to be a billion dollar lifetime value product. Um, but you know, within I think year one's revenue, do I think they can have I think decent revenue, being good, not excellent maybe, but being good, I think they can get there. Which I think kind of goes into I think the other part of like this topic, which I think is fascinating. Um, and I think uh, well, we can use multiple products, but when it comes to products going into soft launch, potentially going dormant and coming back, like even looking at, not that I'm saying that this is exactly what happened, but even Supercell with their latest product, Everdale, right? Like they were publishing under a pseudonym uh, and they even call that product completely something different, right? Like mm-hmm. it was being published by, I, I can't remember the, the name of the studio that they made up, something interactive, uh, and it was called Valleys and Villages. Uh, I know from personal experience that, you know, this is a tactic that we've been deploying since like, you know, the mid 2000s, right? Yep. Uh, just so Pretty that common. we can test and validate, right? But it, it's just funny how those types of strategies occur. And even recently, I think in our in our Slack channel, uh, there's like this new product that people are getting excited about, um, you know, which is like a, what's, what's a polite way of calling it? It's almost like a Clash Royale Redux. Um, and people are like, oh, this is cool. The pre-registration numbers on these things are like amazing. It's like over 3 million something. And I took a look at it and I'm like, oh, that, that looks like an older game that was slightly reskinned, right? So maybe it's a lot more common than we think it is. Mm. It's just like no one's looking in that, in that direction, right? And seeing who's out there kind of flying under the radar doing this kind of testing. And to me, like that's fascinating because there could be a bunch of products that has been resuscitated and successful you know quote unquote that maybe we just we're just not aware of mm-hmm. all right um yeah let's see because um I, I like the these predictions that we like in a year can look back on and, and, and say like uh okay uh david was absolutely correct it does just doesn't work uh mm. or <laughs> and CA were we're more right all right <laughs> let's, i think we're just let's... fanboys it's clouding our judgment <laughs> exactly <laughs> your memories are too fond of this uh these that's right zombies. that's right yeah. <laughs> Actually, like I've, I think in my life I've played, let's say, ten mobile games, and Plants vs Zombies. The first one was one of them. Mm, uh, such a good game. So anyway, um, topic three, 
because uh, this is my thing. Uh, the destroyed <laughs> diamond NFT. <laughs> we're talking crypto, so there we go. Uh, CA, you said you were going to give an intro, so uh, feel free. Go ahead. What happened? So this project is super interesting because there's this woman named Tasha who is a very well-educated, you know, PhD, macroeconomics, um, you know, investment uh, kind of individual. I think she works for like the IMF. Uh, so, you know, just really deep background in, you know, economics, supply and demand, all that good stuff. And so as part of an experiment, uh, she decided to go and buy a real diamond from, you know, a vendor called Blue Nile. Uh, they're like a, you know, diamond wholesaler. Uh, and she bought this diamond to essentially destroy the physical object, but created, you know, re you know, yeah, created as an NFT to see if it held on to, you know, its value as well as kind of prove, at least in her thesis, and I might not be doing it justice, but to prove that there's a store of value within that NFT versus like the physical object, right? So it started off as just kind of like a thought exercise um, a variety of different things happened. It kind of went viral. There was, there was a lot of really good discussions on both sides, you know, pros and cons. And so she actually went through with it. And she documented this entire thing where she went and bought the diamond, got delivered. She found some, you know, auto mechanic, uh, you know, junkyard site that had like a heavy anvil type thing, just smashed this diamond to pieces. And she, you know, put up her essentially like some kind of a gif of her diamond on OpenSea. And it's, it's just, it's, it's been there, it's been traded, and it's significantly higher in value than what she paid. But my understanding is she paid 5,000 USD, mm -hmm. um, which is what I think at the time, what is that, like a little over like a one ETH, like 1.2, 1.3 ETH. Something but like that, yeah. the last time I checked, this thing was closer to, I don't know, like 43 ETH or something to that effect. Yeah, well... So it was sold after the initial sale for 5.5 ETH, which okay, was yeah, 18K. Yeah. And now it's for sale for 45 ETH, which oh, is got like it, got 200, it, got it. I don't know, whatever. Something crazy. But yeah, like it's just, I think it's just fascinating. I mean, obviously, like if it already sold once for, yeah, five point something ETH, right? Like she's already increased in value. But I think the question then comes down to, you know, was was this experiment kind of like proving and, you know, validating the hypothesis that she had? Was this more of a you know, marketing stunt and like a brilliant way of like getting community formation to, you know, and build up marketing around this particular mm -hmm. experiment to drive up that value, um, which, you know, has a lot of parallels to what's happening within the NFT blockchain space when it comes to projects. So I think there's some lessons to be learned here. But mm -hmm. yeah, I just thought it was a, just a fascinating experiment, something to talk about. Fully agree. David, your thoughts? Well, my first thought is that it's GIF, not GIF. And I know there'll be other people listening <laughs> in on this podcast that say, what is CA talking I'm about? On David, I'm, I'm on David's side. Yeah, camp, camp is it not anyway. GIF? I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Yeah, Sorry you are, to man. Be the one to tell you. Anyway, <laughs> that's not really the important thing. I mean, it's a really mind-blowing piece of economics that the more you think about it, the more confusing it gets, I think. Mm. It, it's not the same thing as, but it reminds me, you know, the, uh, uh, a story that, professors like to talk about money is that this the island of yap are you familiar with that right so yep. probably people are but the island of yap in the pacific there decided that they had to find some kind of currency so carved out these enormous we stone wheels 
as a, a unit of currency. So if you wanted to buy someone's grain, like a whole field of grain, then you have to give them this enormous uh, wheel of limestone, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. After a while, people realized that moving this limestone around was a pain, you know, pain to do. So they just left it where it was and said, you know, that's Jim's uh, in a limestone wheel, that's someone else. And then another time when they would bring it back on a boat, then it fell to the bottom of the ocean. And they said, well, what do we do about that? It's still Jim's uh, wheel, but it's at the bottom of the ocean. And then they say, oh, well, that doesn't really matter anyway. It's just at the bottom of the ocean now. And you realize that the idea of actually holding money uh, and the concept of holding things that are value is quite like a an abstract notion. It just requires everybody to uh, agree the same thing at the same time. So mm-hmm. the idea at some point in our history we decided that diamonds, despite not having a great deal of function or utility, were, th- were going to be worth this. It's something that we've already agreed upon some time ago and now people are saying well you know i think these nfts that are also uh, scarce uh, uh, hold value in themselves and i think we're struggling to get or at least i am struggling to get my head around the idea that uh, something digital can be worth this much money but mm. we've already done these kind of things in the past just not in a digital form so mm-hmm. i think that's where i got to but the more, as i say the more i talk about it the more confused i get so maybe matei has a take well, I'm definitely confused about the whole experiment because, well, <laughs> I am a, a bit of like crypto enthusiast, uh, but I just don't know why would I do that. So, hmm. why would still, you do what? Like to buy a diamond, then you know, make an NFT out of it, and then sell. I mean, okay, it makes sense to to do it like a, like an investment or like a nice experiment and like a marketing build a marketing around it, but. I just, I don't know. It's tough. <laughs> tough to understand. You, tough it to is understand. tough to understand. It, I, it was interesting to me that it turns out you can't smash a diamond with a hammer. I don't know if you watched the YouTube video. But <laughs> <I didn't. laughs> so I learned that. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> I didn't yeah. realize that diamonds could be uh, destroyed at like, what is it, 850 degrees Fahrenheit mm-hmm. or something to that effect. But that was interesting to me. I got a feeling that that wasn't the point of what she was trying to get across, but that's, you know, that's the bit that I understood. <laughs> now we're talking about it, yeah. <laughs> I, I really loved your example, uh, David, because that's actually like the, the Guam example and the limestone example is one of the famous, you know, references or explanations into what Bitcoin is. Yeah, although, you know, we we're having this conversation around the office today and they told me, people told me that's not the same thing at all, because you know. Which might yeah. be the case. I don't understand. But I guess my point of that example is that money is quite abstract anyway, or value mm-hmm. is quite abstract. I think um, like I've been trying to wrap my head around it as well. Um, and I sort of started getting a bit closer when I realized that in the end, like for a while, we were on the gold standard, which meant that, uh, for example, in the US, you get a dollar and the government promises you, like, if you bring that dollar back in, they'll give you a certain weight of, in gold, right? And so in the end, you have this, gold which is in a vault and the only thing you have is a piece of paper and everyone agrees that that has value um and so i'm i'm kind of like warming up to the to the idea of, of these nfts you know in the end still you know having value and seen as a sort of value and it just like the only thing that matters is you know the societal agreement around it basically yeah mm-hmm. th- i think there's also she, she talked about two purposes for a diamond one is that it had some function her point was that an industrial design a diamond is worth a quarter of that of a mm-hmm. mine diamond so you could say that you can discount uh, that somewhat 
And then there's the store of value. But there's another one which is sort of cultural or emotional. You know, a, a hand-me-down piece of jewellery with diamonds in it is... I don't think you can just shake that off uh, immediately in the same way as you can't shake off gold. It's just sort of part of our culture. Uh, I mean, if we would culture just smash all the diamonds and swap them for NFTs on the same day, I don't think so because it's important to us as culture. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think around those topics, um, some of the points that I think she was trying to make, which has a lot of parallels to other communities that are being formed, right? Like this idea around taking abstract value and then creating trust and social agreement behind those things mm -hmm. that then, you know, creates these bonds. You can have asset classes, all these different kind of uh, you know, theories that are then kind of proven out. I think there's, there is value in understanding that part of it. So if this was a thought experiment to get people to think in that way and see NFTs as a vehicle to do that, I think in that sense, she succeeded. Because uh, if you take a look at, let's say, like the, you know, Board Ape Yacht Club and how much they've blown up and what they've been able to do with that particular thing, there's a lot of that, you know, limited supply, durability, you know, so store of value, social agreement that really comes into play. And mm -hmm. so I think in that sense, it was a really interesting way to, I don't know, talk about that in a, in a broader context. So I think in that sense, it's great. The rest of it, I think, is, yeah, it's just a marketing vehicle to get <laughs> to that end point. <laughs> yeah. Okay, f final question on this. Do you think we'll still be talking about this, let's say, in one year? Talking about what? About this d destroyed diamond NFT, or is that going to be mm. forgotten? Mateo, what do you think? Probably not. These are like... There will be another experiment we will talk about in a year, for sure. <laughs> it's not going to be diamond. Something else. Yes, sort of to CA's point, is it just starts a conversation or at least mm. moves a conversation on. So I doubt our purpose was to go down in the history books as the moment where everybody understood NFTs or store value or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's just uh, moves the conversation on a bit. So no, we won't be talking about it, but I guarantee we'll be talking about something related in mm. a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, the, the 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 example that I drew when this whole thing was going down, uh, I, I you guys probably remember this, but you know, several years ago, uh, there was a Banksy, uh, you know, piece of art that mm -hmm. was auctioned off, and I, I think it was like a consortium or maybe a couple guys they pooled and they bought that particular Banksy, and then they created an NFT. And they taped it all. They videotaped them burning that Banksy. And they, I think it was eventually called the Burnt Banksy. And that then went on to, I think, uh, it shot up in value. I think it, was, it started at like 95000 ended up being closer to like three hundred. Um, but I think they were trying to make, I think, similar points, have that mm. conversation. So I think if you look at a timeline on when these experiments occur and what format, I think it, it may evolve and continue that conversation, but maybe it'll get more pointed to, you know, the things that we're describing around, yeah, why it's important to have limited supply, why, you know, blockchain ledgers and decentralization and that durability is important why social agreement helps to solidify and create that connectivity tissue amongst all of that i think those conversations will definitely continue and evolve yeah mm -hmm. and we have we are on a journey here because we have all decided well not everybody's decided but bitcoin evidently has some value and has consistently had some value albeit going up and down for some time mm -hmm. and that's an abstract thing that's a digital thing so it's not like this is the beginning we're some way into it mm-hmm all right, cool. 
Um, very well. So that were the three topics of today. And now we have the bonus segments. And my first question, and this is going to each of you, is would you rather get a one, on, one out of one NFT of a diamond worth $5,000 that got destroyed? So basically, would you rather get this you know, destroyed diamond NFT or a real diamond worth 3K? I mean, it's interesting. You've already discounted the the, the, di- the <laughs> down to three k the diamond. Exactly. Um, so you get a real diamond of three k, or you get a NFT of a destroyed diamond that's worth five k. So the destroyed diamond was worth five k, um, and so it's not the one that's currently being sold for forty ETH. It's a new one. So I make hmm. one. So I buy a diamond now, I destroy it, and I make an NFT, and you can get that NFT, or I buy you a three k diamond. Well, judging by what's just happened to that first one, then the smart option would be the NFT, would it? If you can hype it up a little bit, then I'll take the NFT. If you can, yeah. Do you have the cloud, David? Do you have like the, the, the community <laughs> around you? We have a podcast here. That's all we ever talk about. It's yeah. true. You yeah, have this amazing <laughs> voice. That's true. Damn. All right. Matei? Yeah, I would, I would go with the NFT. I always want to have one. So this is the, this is the first one I, 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 I get. There nice. That's a pretty good one. You say? Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm the same. I, I, I want it to be different just for the sake of variety. But yeah. to be completely <laughs> honest, I think I would go for the NFT because uh, I think there's some actual interesting use cases of, of it outside of the actual, you know, NFT broken diamond, destroyed diamond in and of itself. I, mm. think, I think this is where it's going to go. I think there's some added utility as an owner that I can then create around it. And who knows, maybe that will help to create new value or new ways of thinking about that. You know, it's usually at this point point in the in the podcast where Nico admits that he actually has a diamond in FT. I know, right? I'm the one who bought it for 18 days. Yeah, exactly. no. He was the mastermind behind the whole experiment. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't have it. It's, uh, <laughs> but it, it does fascinate me. Um, you know what I did have? I had like a company approach me and they were building... Um, like a, a blockchain around diamonds. I forgot the name. It was like diamond or whatever. Anyway, but so, so they were actually making, I think the idea was to make like one-on-one NFTs for each diamond. And so you could actually track where they came from, you know, where they originated. Um, and you could, that way you could mm-hmm. actually be sure, for example, that the, the NFT, or no, the diamond that you got, you got the NFT and you could see that it was actually mined and not created in the lab, for example. Anyway, so that's... Um, yeah, it reminds me of this. Um, all right, I have three more um, would-you-rather questions. Um, one for each of you. First one is for um, CA. CA, would you rather own one CryptoPunk or the equivalent in loot bags? So that would be about 12 loot bags. Ooh, good question. How many loot bags am I getting versus the CryptoPunk? The same same value today. So same I think the, value. The, yeah, I think load bags are like seven and a half ETH each, and the, the cheapest crypto punk is probably like eighty or something. So you would get around eleven, let's say. You know, as a as someone who really wanted one of those things and not having one, I'm gonna have to go with the crypto punk. All right, that's fair. Actually, I had another question for David, but I like this one. So David, same question. Well, you know my answer on this already, Nico. You know, given a choice between an NFT that has utility and one that doesn't, I'm always going to go for the one that has utility, particularly if you're giving me 12 of them. So that's my answer. All right. But I'll ask you the same question, but I have another one for you too. Okay. Well, I have no idea, so I would go with 
uh, with loot packs probably loot packs. because you hyped it up so so much in the, in the <laughs> last <laughs> <podcast. laughs> all right awesome uh, yeah actually I, I i would know what i answer what my answer would be so uh good thing i, I didn't ask it to myself um <laughs> and then <laughs> final question that, that one is for you you mate um and it's okay. actually a repeat question i'm curious if your answer repeated as well so you get the choice between doing growth at axie infinity or growth at riot's new um league of legends mobile game mobile legends that's a very very good question you ask again because immediately after the podcast i uh, I wanted to change my answer because well, yeah, yeah, yeah. but not not because well the the play to earn and crypto gaming is is hyped up uh, a bit like these days, but because I always try to learn new things, so definitely definitely go for growth for Axie Infinity. Nice, I'm I'm very glad you 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 uh, you changed the answer. Cool. All right, that rounds up the episode of today. Thanks for joining me, Matei, David, and uh, and Chong. Um, dear listener. Please join our Discord if you want to, you know, get involved in this conversation. There we can discuss games, we can discuss crypto, and you can tell me how unimaginative my bonus segments are as well. Um, uh, if you want to join, you can find links for that in the description of the episodes, or you can find the link on navic.co. And finally, I've been speaking to a bunch of people in the, the crypto gaming space, um, and yeah, I, was, I just wanted to let our listeners know that if you're interested in what crypto can do for games and you're willing to work hard and learn a bit like Matei, uh, please reach out. I think, I mean, I know so many companies looking for talents that are interested in, in learning about crypto because still so little is known that it's like kind of blue ocean where the first ones who dare to make the first leap and, and, and learn by doing um, can get some like insane rewards. So um, yeah, just reach out, join the Discord, reach out to me, and then uh, perhaps you'll be working on your blockchain game of your dreams in a few weeks. With that said, this was the Metacost for this week, and we look forward to speaking to you in the next. Cheers. Cheers.